Hi, Keith here with Rebel Civics. Today I'm going to talk about the proxy war between U.S. and NATO against Russia. And it's taking place in Ukraine, but it's really NATO and the U.S. that are fighting this war uh, by proxy using uh, Ukraine. I'm going to go through some of the history and uh, a few newer developments. This isn't a new show, but I want to talk about what's going on right now. Uh, the question, as I put in the title, will they successfully start World War III? Uh, there's a slight bit of sarcasm in there, but um, you know the best sarcasm is when there's a little truth to it. Uh, I don't know if they're seriously trying, but they sure are doing a good effort to do it. Um, you might ask them, maybe they want to start World War III, maybe they don't. I don't know, um, but they seem to be trying. The U.S. government and, and NATO, with NATO, part of NATO, U.S. government slash NATO, they've been goading the Russian government into war. Um, since well before the 2014 coup that was orchestrated by the U.S. State Department um, when they threw over the uh, elected government, overthrew the elected government of Ukraine, um, U.S. State Department, CIA, all over that one. Uh, it really goes back to the end of the Cold War. So if you want to talk about history, we got to go back all the way to there. Um, Putin finally uh, obliged this uh, decades-long effort that, that the uh, U.S. and NATO have been pushing. Uh, early this year, uh, February 24th, actually, um, the invaded Ukraine, as everybody knows by now. Right? Uh, I had a look at this on February 25th. I published an article. So on the tw February 24th, when this happened, I was thought, I think they're trying to start World War III. Uh, that's when I first started paying more attention to Ukraine. Um, I'm going to go. I'm going to show you my article that I published on that was published by Uncovered DC on February 25th, uh, and then on April. I did the uh, first Rebel Civics episode, actually. This is episode 27. Thanks, everybody, for watching. Uh, the first episode was called Meddling in European Affairs, and it was actually on this. So I think it's time to take another look at this effort to start World War III. Uh, it's only intensified since February um, and, and continued since April when I did the Unsafe Space episode. So it's coming up on eight months now. They've been just building this up. So some recent events, just to uh, set the uh, the basis here. Um, Ukraine, as uh, everybody should know, uh, they used to be part of the Soviet Union, USSR, uh, for many years. Um, it's got a long history of being captured and divided up and grabbed by these guys and that guy's and run by somebody else and all kinds of um, regimes uh, going back thousand years. Um, it's got a bunch of distinct regions, uh, a few off the top of my head. The western half is very Polish, used to be part of Poland. A lot of people there speak Polish. Uh, the middle part is, I guess you could call Ukraine. Um, they speak Ukrainian. The whole eastern part of it, uh, they're, they're Russians. They're ethnic Russians. They speak Russian. They use their Russian culture. Um, Russian was an official language of Ukraine because so many people speak Russian. I uh, used to be part of Russia. Uh, and, you know, that was partly driven by the Soviet Union and their Russian programs. But anyway, that's the way it is right now. So I meant to make this brief. Sorry. Um, after the Soviet Union collapsed, uh, Ukraine became independent country. The Cold War supposedly ended. Um, but what really happened um, is that the whole Cold War got repurposed. So the U.S. at the time committed to not expand NATO past the uh, east-west Berlin line. Uh, 
um, not to move NATO any closer to Russia than it was at the time of the end of the Cold War, uh, like 1991. Um, that was the one of the Bush administrations and Gorbachev, I believe. Um, but anyway, there was a commitment made. It wasn't a treaty, but as they say, you know, commitment uh, by a politician is one of the is is the lowest form of of human commitment is a politician to an, to the citizens or a politician to another politician. So anyway, Bush telling Gorbachev, uh, I think it really matters. Um, anyway, they did commit it. That promise was ignored by every single U.S. president since, every single one. NATO's expanded throughout Eastern Europe, and that's a key part of the history here. Uh, then we lead, get up to 2014. That's when the coup in Iran happened. Um, the... Uh, moderate government that was open to Russia um, had accepted some funding from rushing. They were ousted uh, by force um, with the uh, U.S. government orchestrating that. Um, and uh, one of the first things they did in their new pro-American uh, version is they outlawed Russian as a official language. Um, that was one of the of a number of anti-Russia things they did with this new government that the U.S. installed or helped install or whatever. Um, lots of anti-Russia, pro-U.S., pro-Western uh, moves were made. Uh, that's when the secession vote of Crimea and Donbass uh, and um, uh, happened. Uh, Crimea left Ukraine. They petitioned to join Russia. Russia accepted Crimea. Um, for a couple good reasons. One is that the only warm weather port for Russia is in Crimea. Um, but And there's other reasons. It's a big economic powerhouse. Uh, and it was part of Russia up, up until uh, um, it was handed as kind of a token to Ukraine administratively during the Soviet Union. Um, but it's pretty much Russian there um, for the most part. And uh, also, the Donbas region, Donetsk and Luhansk, apologies for those people if I'm pronouncing them wrong. Uh, they also had referendums, voted to secede from Ukraine, became independent, petitioned to join Russia, but Russia turned them down. Putin turned them down. So they've been declared themselves independent since 2014, although the U.S., uh, most of Europe, uh, certainly NATO, they disagree. The U.N. even disagrees. Um, Russia recognize them. Anyway, ever since then, the Ukraine was waging this low-level war against Donbass for eight years, um, shelling them. According to CNN, they've killed 14,000 people. This is before the Russian invasion. So the Ukraine government killed 14,000 people in the Donbass in the last eight years uh, since they left. Uh, there's also 1.5 million were displaced from their homes. Uh, that's according to CNN. Um, which is a pro-Ukrainian uh, news source. Um, that's the numbers they have. I've seen those numbers floating around. So anyway, they've killed 14,000 people. Uh, this war started at least in 2014. Like this war did not start in February of this year. Uh, Ukraine started the war and they started it in February. As far as egging it on, you could go back all the way to 91 and the Cold War and NATO. But at least have to realize this war started in 2014. Anyway, now we get up to today, um, 24 February this year, 2022, Russia invades Ukraine. They started, they came in through Crimea. Um, and just for fun, I went back and looked at a, 
at a report on um, from that time. Uh, it's interesting to look at what they were saying back then. So uh, this is a CNN uh, report on the 24th, I believe. So the 24th, 25th. Yes, this is on February 24th. Uh, this is the day of the invasion. Now, because of the time zones, uh, you know, around noon Eastern in the U.S., it was already well underway. Uh, started at uh, 8 p.m., 9 p.m. our time. So, and they started at 4 a.m. Um, the first uh, first thing happened, they came in through uh, Crimea, um, which is for the last eight years has been inherently part of Russia. So that was no problem. That's where they came in. So they just talk in this article about it. Uh, the one thing I was going to read here, this is a fun one, because it exposes the regime media. Um, like CNN is just part of the regime. Um, they don't I mean, they're funded by pharmaceutical companies and they have super access to the, the White House. Like CNN people can go to White House press conferences. There are just a, a talking heads for the regime. Um, by that, I mean, you know, big corporate, crony corporate interests like pharmaceutical companies and the U.S. government. So what they reported, uh, Putin made a speech. Um, this was uh, 5 a.m. our time, so shortly after it started. Uh, saying he decided to conduct a special military operation to protect people who've been subjected to abuse and genocide by the Kiev regime regime for eight years, repeating a baseless claim about Ukraine's Russian separatist back Donbass. So that's the part I wanted to just highlight. Um, this is uh, this was noon on uh, February twenty fourth, the day Russia invaded. CNN's already feeding us a line of bull, um, this baseless claim. Like, I call them on that. Like, that ain't true. It's not It's not basis that I just said the numbers. At this point, Ukrainian government had killed 14,000 people in Donbass and displaced 1.5 million people, according to CNN, um, actually, which is kind of funny. Um, but anyway, I don't know what they mean by baseless. So apparently what CNN believed and what the other parts of the regime media believed on February 24th of this year, and they still tout that today, is that the government can kill 14,000 uh, 14, people by bombing them. Like, that's fine. Uh, nothing wrong with that. Um, it is what President Lincoln would have done. But then I digress. Anyway, um, so since then, we've had eight months of this same proxy war, uh, continuous escalation. Um, the the um, Ukraine government uh, had never recognized uh, the independence of the Bas region or Crimea. Uh, they had a hard time doing anything about Crimea because Putin drew a uh, line in the sand on that. Like, we're keeping this place. Uh, you get your fists out of this. Uh, but Dohansk and Luhansk, Donetsk and Luhansk, pardon me again. Um, now, nah, they were pretty much, they were taking that back by force. Um, so people have been living for eight years with um, their government bombing them. All right. Um, I was going to run through super quick um, some of what's happened like further back. So, uh, then I'll get back to the like the the last eight months of U.S. and NATO 
via Russia in the proxy war. Um, this continuous escalation just been going on and you know further and further. There's been zero peace negotiations. All we get is saber rattling, uh, bombing, killing, uh, lots of threats, tons and tons of money. I'm going to do a follow the money section. Uh, lots of free weapons handed to Ukraine, and then sanctions, which are basically that's when the U.S. attacks the U.S. citizens by preventing trade. So I'm, I'll get back to that, but. Uh, permit me if you all want to sit back for a minute and just let me blast through this. Uh, it was interesting going through Ukraine's history background. I'm not going to show any links in this because there's so much stuff here. I would be switching tabs on you so fast your eyes would go bad. Um, between the 4th and 7th century, that's when the first Slavic community was established in the Ukraine area. Uh, the 9th century is when the Kievan Rus was established Slavic. Uh, interestingly enough, this whole Russia thing basically started in Kiev. Um, I found that interesting. In what, in what we call Kiev, they called it Kievan, and it was Rus, R-U-S, that's spelled. Anyway, that was the ninth century. Um, in the 14th century, Lithuania took over rule. Uh, there was the, the king, and they conquered Ukraine. So uh, 14, 13, 1400s, 1500s, um, it was Lithuania ruled uh, pretty harshly. Uh, 1569, Poland, Lithuania, they turned the people into serfdom, um, a lot of persecution. In the 16th century, uh, Moscow control started growing, the, the Russian, what became Russia, um, the Cossacks. 1648, the Cossacks uh, was a revolution against the harsh Polish rule. So they were kind of rebelling against the Polish rule there. Um, 1654 to 67, was the Russo-Polish War. Uh, that led to a partitioning of Ukraine. In 1686, the eastern part of Ukraine came under Russian rule um, as a payment to Poland. Uh, they're trading parts of the country. So these are these like kings and whoever is in power. They're like trading pieces of Ukraine back and forth between Russia and Poland. Um, 1772 to 95, the Russian Empire uh, conquest of Crimea. They uh, invaded, they conquered Crimea, and they partitioned it off, off Poland from that. And the Russian Empire was controlling Crimea. This is 1772, before the uh, U.S. War for Independence from Britain. Um, the Russian Empire uh, and then Austria controlled all of present-day Ukraine for the next like 100 years. Uh, Austria invaded too. Um, then in 1918, Ukraine declared independence after years of domination from Poland and Russia. 1919, the Bolshevik Red Army attacked. Uh, they gained control back. So that didn't last very long, about a year. Became the Ukrainian Soviet Republic. Um, 1930s was the what they called the Russification. So I guess that is part of why a lot of people speak Russian there now. Um, because that was a Soviet Union program. They called it Russification. Um, uh, and that's also the famine. If uh, you follow Ukraine history, that's often something we talk about. Uh, tremendous famine. Millions of people died. A lot, lot. I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but a large number of people in Ukraine died. That's when a lot of Ukrainians ended up in, in Western Europe and the U.S. Um, was to get away from that famine. They escaped from the Soviet Union. Uh, anyway, huge famine. Huge numbers there. Uh, 1938, um, Khrushchev became he head of the Ukrainian Communist Party. 
Uh, interestingly, Khrushchev is actually Ukrainian. Um, he's not Russian heritage. He is Ukrainian. Uh, then uh, World War II, Germany invaded. Um, they were initially viewed as liberators, uh, but then the, the Nazis uh, took control and they realized, oh, guess what? This is actually worse uh, because the Nazis treated Slavs with you know contempt and they're quite harsh in the World War II occupation as they did pretty much everywhere else, just like Poland, just like other parts of Europe that they um, got in. So anyway, that was... Uh, that was even worse during that part when Germany was occupying it. Uh, 1953, Stalin died. Uh, World War II ended. You all know that story. I don't need to go into that. Uh, Stalin died in 53, and Khrushchev was appointed head of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union. So he got promoted when Khrushchev died from head of the Communist Party of Ukraine to the head of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union. So Khrushchev, the old Cold War guy that uh, we hear about talking with, Reagan, Kennedy, I guess, and Reagan. And anyway, Khrushchev, um, uh, he was actually Ukrainian. Uh, and that's how Crimea ended up as part of Ukraine. So um, the Crimea was administratively transferred from Russia to Ukraine as kind of like a little, little, um, you know, bonus for Ukraine that they can just say, hey, you guys can have this part. But under the Soviet Union, it doesn't really matter. Everything's administered from Moscow anyway. So it didn't really make any difference. It's kind of a paperwork thing. So anyway, that was 54 when Crimea became officially part of Ukraine, whatever you want to call Ukraine, when, when it was Ukraine Communist Party. Ukraine was part of the Soviet Union. Uh, then 1991, you all remember that, the Berlin Wall came down. Um, Ukraine became independent when um, the communist system of the Soviet Union collapsed on itself. Uh, as an aside, we all know socialism, communism, it can't work. It's impossible. Um, so anyway, 1991 is when that that ended. So there's a uh, I didn't mean to spend that much time on it, but I'm a little uh, I guess I'm fascinated partly by that long history. Um, Ukraine, you, you don't even know what you want to call Ukraine. Um, that whole tirade, and I skipped a lot of stuff. I found out more changes and people invading and all kinds of stuff. And you can go back further, and it's same thing. Uh, the word Ukraine, uh, it just means at the border or borderland. So Ukraine is actually just borderland, if you want to say it in English. Um, it's it's like the border between East and West, the border between Russia and Poland or Russia and Lithuania or or Poland and Germany, Poland and Austria, um, what's now Belarus and, and Germany or something like it means borderland. So I find it interesting people, they won't in mind about the uh, the lines, like about Ukraine and Crimea and Donetsk and, and just ask like, well, where is the line supposed to be? I don't even know what Ukraine should be. Like, I, I'm not very interested in arguments about the line in Ukraine should be here or there or everywhere. Um, so, so anyway, yeah, Poland, um, the, you know, the different regions here, I'll just touch on that briefly, like the Western part that's Polish, that was part of Poland, it was part of Germany, it was part of Austria, part of Lithuania, um, part of Russia, who, who knows, but a lot of people there speak Polish, um, they kind of vote more pro-West, the middle parts, Ukrainian, the Eastern parts, all these Russian people, they're mostly, seem to be, best I can tell, they're mostly in favor of Russia. Um, 
anyway, let me get into the, the real war. So this war that we got ongoing here, which is what I really wanted to talk about here, I'm 26 minutes in and um, still talking about that history. So NATO expansion since 1991, after the Soviet uh, Union broke up, um, when people say that Putin's invasion was unprovoked, they're, they're, they're either ignorant or they're lying. Uh, that's the only two possibilities. Uh, it certainly was provoked. And, and I'm not justifying it. Don't take me wrong. I'm not saying that uh, Putin isn't a bad guy. Uh, I don't like Putin. I don't like I don't like any of these people. Uh, the Ukrainian government is the most corrupt government in Europe. Uh, unless you don't want to count Russia, which is pretty corrupt. Um, but as far as all of Europe, um, Ukraine is the most corrupt government there. Um, in uh, So in 2013, uh, a guy, uh, again, I apologize, but I don't pronounce his name right, Yakonovich, um, he was working on a EU agreement. So um, he's from Crimea. They were negotiating with Russia, negotiating with the West. He was kind of doing, you know, kind of a balanced thing. They had taken some money from Russia, lots of trade with Russia, lots of trade with the West. But he was moving, uh, you know, he wanted to move more towards um talked about moving more towards the EU, but they suspended PrEP for an agreement with EU. That was in 2013. Uh, then there was an election, big, big turmoil at the time. The regional differences in that election, I don't have the chart handy, but that's interesting to look at. It's very telling to look at the voting chart from that uh, election before the 2014 coup, right before, the, uh, in might have been just a few months before that, but it was right before that. Um, the, the Polish area to the West, overwhelmingly pro the, the pro-US, pro-West candidate, pro-EU. Uh, they talked about those people wanted to join the EU. They would join NATO, join the EU. Um, totally open to that. That area was like in the 90% in favor of the guy for that. The Ukraine section in the middle was kind of mixed. Um, and then the whole Eastern part, uh, which is Crimea, Donetsk, um, Luhansk, Donetsk, the uh, Donbass provinces, and a bunch of other, they're not provinces, uh, Obelisks, I think they call them, um, those areas, and then a whole bunch of other areas in that eastern part of Ukraine. Those people voted in the 90, 95% kind of numbers in favor of the pro-Russian candidate. Um, and what happened... Uh, about then was the pro-Russian guy won. Uh, and that was no good to the U.S. So what ha what they did, U.S. State Department, uh, Victoria Nolan, famous phone conversation, um, John Kerry, Secretary of State John Kerry was there. This is Obama days. Oh, by the way, when uh, Joe Biden was vice president and in charge of Ukraine, um, Ambassador Pyatt, all these guys, they were like, we know now, uh, they handpicked a new president. Um, the State Department, the CIA orchestrated a violent coup. They overthrew the, the government, ousted the president. Um, Yanukovych, like they, they set up a diversion for him to get out. Uh, they, they put his car from, from his uh, presidential palace or whatever they call it there. Um, they sent his car with an entourage like he's leaving because this coup's happening. And uh, the snipers, probably the, the snipers, which were 
another side, trained by the CIA in Poland. But snipers are shooting at his car, and then they secretly put him in a helicopter, and then he escaped to Crimea, and then went from there to, to Moscow. Um, but he got out by helicopter by sneaking out. Uh, they tried to kill him by shooting at his car, and they faked that part. So that's how the president got out. That's what was going on. Uh, that's the U.S. State Department and the CIA heavily involved in that. Um, New president gets installed totally pro-U.S., pro-EU, pro-West, anti-Russia. That's who gets installed. Um, new government comes in. Uh, one of the first things they did was ban – they want to ban Russian as an official language for Ukraine. Now, now you want to trigger people. Um, a, a huge number of people in Ukraine are native Russian. They speak Russian. Uh, they want to ban that as an official language. Um, yeah, that's right up there with Canada trying to ban French. Um, that's what happened. That's when the secession vote uh, uh, happened in Crimea, Donetsk, and Luhansk. Um, all three of them, overwhelm overwhelmingly, at least by the numbers we see, they voted to leave Ukraine and become independent and petition to join Russia. So all three of them petitioned to join Russia, uh, but only Crimea was accepted. Uh, by Russia, by Putin, basically, and by the Russian government. Uh, Donetsk and Luhansk were rejected, so they remained independent. They called themselves the uh, Republic of Donetsk and the Republic of Luhansk. Um, then from 2014 to 2022, this is when, as I mentioned earlier, the Ukraine government has been shelling Donetsk and Luhansk. Uh, CNN, again, I'm just going to say it again because the CNN reported this, uh, 14,000 killed, 1.5 million displaced from their homes. Um, there was a huge amount of shelling, major shelling reported in the five days right before Putin sent troops in on the February uh, 24th. Um, so Ukraine was upping this war uh, that week before, um, major, major up, uplinks. Um, on February 21st, the Russian government formally recognized Donetsk and Luhansk as independent. Now that really stirred up people, stirred up Ukraine, stirred up the United States government, stirred up uh, the EU people uh, and NATO. NATO people did not like that at all because they were fine with, with uh, Ukraine. They encouraged it. Ukraine shelling um, the Donbass provinces to, to tell them like, no, you can't vote independent. Uh, that was February 21st of this year. Uh, then February 24th, uh, Putin invaded started. Um, so the concept um, in the, what I showed you at first, I'm just going to pop that up again. Now that you've heard all that, uh, that's what I mean here. This like CNN first says that 14 million people killed uh, 1.14,000, excuse me, 14,000 people were killed in the shelling by the government. 1.5 million displaced from their home, reported by CNN. And then CNN also reports that it's a baseless claim when Putin said that um, the people of Donetsk have been subjected to abuse. Uh, they CNN claims that's baseless. Uh, they had to switch. I think they had to switch because the regime's instructions were that uh, support Ukraine. This is about the time people were taking down their COVID decorations and putting up their Ukraine decorations. Like the order went out, Ukraine flags, change your profile pictures. You can take down that little banner says I got vaccinated and you put up your Ukrainian flag. That's what everybody's supposed to do. 
and all these media agencies, uh, they jump on that. Like, yeah, sure. This is the new thing. I support the new thing. Anyway, I spent a lot of time on history. I don't know how many people are still with me, but I'm going to continue on, actually talk about what I wanted to do a show on, which is really what, what really happened. So another thing I was going to show you, um, I mentioned the article I wrote. Uh, in addition to my rants I do here on uh, Unsafe Space, the Rebel Civic Show, I'm also a writer with uh, for uh, Uncover DC. Um, if you want to know what DC is doing, it's a pretty cool website. They totally expose stuff. Anyway, I'm one of the people I submit articles once in a while. Um, on February 24th, when the evasion happened, my first thought was, will they successfully start World War III? Uh, and I wrote this article. Uh, they liked that they published it immediately. So this went out on February 25th. I'm going to just read some of this. And I don't mean it as an I told you so. I just beat it as like, this was freaking obvious. Like this is what they've been trying to do for decades. Uh, when Putin went in, he's re he was reacting to what the Ukrainian government and the U.S. and NATO have been doing uh, really since 1991, but certainly since uh, 2014. Um, anyway, I'll read a few things here because uh, I do write a lot better than I talk and way more succinctly. I'm glad you all spend uh, an hour with me here, but um, reading me, I could probably get all this out in 10 minutes of your reading time. Um because I don't wander as much in my thoughts. It's one step closer, folks. The U.S. and Russia have been rattling sabers since the week after the end of the Cold War. Russia and U.S. both upped their game this week with pro-war rhetoric and aggressive military moves in Eastern Europe. This week, Putin formally recognized the Donbass region, uh, republics of Donetsk and Luhansk, as independent. Russia moved troops in the area there are reports of missile strikes at the Ukrainian military installations near Kiev. Um, this is the new spelling of Kiev. I think the editors changed it because I didn't spell it that way. I didn't even know what that spelling was at this time. The action is being referred to as a, quote, invasion. So anyway, I wrote this on, um, I wrote this the morning of February 24th when the first reports are coming out. So we didn't really know it was happening then. We just heard reports that Russian troops were moving uh, into Ukraine, and that there was some reports of shelling, and it was presumed to be the Russians at the time. Um, but anyway, I think it was pretty obvious to people that are willing to actually think rationally about what's been going on. Uh, Biden responded with sanctions immediately, like, boom. Uh, they moved U.S. military infantry, attack helicopters, and fighter jets uh, Blue means the link. So um, just like I do on the show, when I write, I got lots of links. Anybody that wants to check sources, um, you just click and follow them. Um, so they, they were moving fighter jets, troops into Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania. And of course, there was thousands of troops already there. Um, Putin's drawing a line in the sand. I look at it just like the line in the sand that Kennedy drew in the Cuban Missile Crisis when um, the Soviet Union installed uh, missile sites in Cuba that could reach DC. Um, it's a line in the sand. They're saying, no, we don't want this. Um, Putin's saying, yeah. And he pointed out that Russia has the largest nuclear missile collection in the world. I think it's, don't quote me, it's something like 6,400. Um, we have about 500 less. By we, I mean the United States government. I don't actually have a nuclear missile. Um, Although I do think, as an aside, that uh, 
certainly, you know, low yield battlefield nuclear weapons are covered by the by the Second Amendment. Um, but that's a subject for another show. Um, Putin has the largest collection of nuclear weapons in the world. Um, between Putin and Biden, that's like over 90% of them all. Uh, Biden's response to this, this was already like game on, let's do this. Of course, I was paraphrasing. Uh, but I did wonder what the next move for the U.S. was. Sanctions are an act of war. So once you do sanctions on, a, on the people of a country, uh, the sanctions are against the U.S. and Europe just as much as they're against Russia, um, hence the uh, firewood being a, uh, a a major social media hashtag in Germany right now as people wonder what they're going to do for the winter. Anyway, um, U.S. immediately react with sanctions, sending money, trying to fire everybody up. Um, and I wondered what the response could be. So uh, what I was thinking the morning of the invasion of what the U.S. actions might be. Uh, I thought they could trigger a response that might go from the failure of Biden to get reelected. Probably that's going to happen, at least if he lives or whatever, um, to a nuclear war that destroys a large part of the surface of the earth. Uh, the whole There's a whole range of possibilities between those two. Um, but all you saw is the Warhawks at the time. Uh, they were like thrilled to death. Um, I'm sure the Pentagon was drooling with the anticipation, looking at plans, blah, blah, blah. I won't read too much more of this. Um, I wanted to read a quote, though. Um, I got into whether or not they would start a war, get involved in a war. I was pretty sure they would. And whether it would be legal or not, uh, I don't know. Um, this whole thing's personal. Remember, Biden has skin in this game. He was in charge of Ukraine as, v as VP when the coup was orchestrated. Um, Victoria Nuland and John Kerry and those people like Biden was all over this. Um, here's the number here I remembered. Yeah, between Biden and Putin, they have control of 90% of the world's nuclear arsenal. Uh, I wrote this here, um, kind of funny. What could go wrong? I always like that uh, sarcastic expression. I don't use the hashtag sarcasm in articles. Uh, Uncovered DC picked this picture to stick in the article after I said, what could go wrong? Uh, yeah, that's a good picture. Um, then I got into George Washington. This is the quote I was going to read. Uh, this is this is a former U.S. president on the Ukraine war, speaking about the Ukraine war, pretty much. Uh, George Washington said in his farewell address, the great rule of, rule of conduct for us in regard to foreign nations is in extending our commercial relations to have with them as little political connection as possible. Europe has a set of primary interests which to us have none or very remote relation. Hence, she must be engaged in frequent controversies, the causes of which are essentially foreign to our concerns. Hence, therefore, it must be unwise in us to implicate ourselves by artificial ties in the ordinary vicissitudes of her politics or the ordinary combinations and collisions of her friends or enmities. Um, this was 1796, George Washington said that. Uh, it's not worded exactly as presidents talk today. Um, I don't think Biden could successfully read that. Um, and that's not something Trump would say. Um, but anyway, it's been a while since we had a president that could talk like this. But the topic, uh, he's dead on. Like, George Washington nailed it. Like, 
we should pay attention to him. So I said in the article, I think that uh, Biden should be listening to him. Gen generally, my my opinion. So this whole threat, um, this has been going on uh, since then. Um, somebody else like that that's interesting to watch, if you go back and read uh, or watch videos of Ron Paul, he was in Congress in 1991. Um, when the Cold War ended and they started talking about uh, expanding NATO, Ron Paul was like, we got to expand NATO. We don't need it. Like um, he was warning. And then when the 2014 coup happened, same thing. Ron Paul was like, what are you people doing? You're risking a nuclear war with Russia. So Ron Paul has been talking about this since 1991 uh, and highlighting it in 2014 when the U.S. orchestrated coup happened. The idea this is unprovoked or a surprise, that's that's bogus. Like that that's silly. Um, they can't possibly believe that unless they're like, you know, 16 years old and and don't know anything about history. Um, anyway, uh, we'll put we'll put all these links in the uh, show notes. Um, if you go to the Web page, they'll be in there after uh, this publishes. Um, also, the link to the uh, first show I did meddling in European affairs in, in Russia. I got into the history more in that show than I did now. So anyway, I want to talk about some other um uh, references here, like, okay, now what do you think should happen in a war, right? Um, something like this. Uh, there's two approaches generally. The U.S. can kind of egg it on, send them weapons, fund it, or we could try to go for peace. Uh, now, what has the U.S. government done? They've sent uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of $54 billion so far in weapons and aid and totally egged them on. Uh, They've actually blocked peace negotiations, even in the beginning when Ukraine was considering it and Russia was willing. Uh, the U.S. blocked it. In October, uh, the U.S. administration formally announced that peace negotiations are off the table. It's not under consideration, not interested in peace. They're doing the opposite. They're setting up for continuing the war indefinitely. Uh, they're talking about the war, like certainly through the winter and exactly how things can happen through the winter. Uh, one article I read by some some people from the Biden administration, uh, they're talking about 10 years, like like they're thinking of how this war is going to play out for 10 years. Um, it's a little frustrating to to realize that it these people sound like they're thinking like it's Saddam Hussein or something or Osama bin Laden. Um, they're talking about the guy has the biggest nuclear arsenal in the world and they're treating him like Saddam Hussein. Oh, by the way, he's a crazy man. He's insane. He's he's like off his rocker uh, and he has more nuclear weapons than anybody in the world, but he won't do anything. Uh, we'll just push him around. Um, you know, the way the U.S. government has to pick up some two bit country, you know, every couple of years. Pick up some two-bit country and throw them against the wall just to make sure the world knows that the American government means business. Um, yeah, Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, helping in Yemen, Afghanistan. Yeah, we can. We seem to be able to get away with that. We spend two trillion dollars, and three thousand people might get killed over twenty years, but they are not going to really kill us. Took down some buildings and stuff, but they can't really take over the United States. Uh, Russia, on the other hand, if Putin decided he could wipe out most major cities in the U.S. tomorrow, like we're we're talking about poking a bear that could 
very easily just say, you know, this is crazy, just nuke Washington. Um, we, we can't stop a, a full-on nuclear assault. Um, that's why you see the uh, New York City promo as sick as it is. Somebody, uh, one of the Unsafe Space listeners posted that in Twitter yesterday. The New York City promo about what to do in a nuclear blast. It's like go inside and stuff. Uh, no. And the nuclear weapons they have now are like way bigger than Fat Boy that they used on, on Japan. Um, it's astounding. This is, you know, I look at it like uh, your friend's in a bar and he's drunk and uh, he starts teasing some big guy, a couple big guys and poking at him and giving him a hard time. And he comes over to you and you give him another beer and a, and a, and a baseball bat and send them back over. Like that's what the U.S. is doing with, with Ukraine. Maybe they're going to conduct this war until every Ukrainian's dead. I, I don't know what their plan is. Anyway, the one thing they don't want to do is negotiate for peace. They have done one negotiation. Since this war started in February, there's been one negotiation between the U.S. State Department and the Russians. It was that uh, athlete, was it an NBA guy who got caught with some, some drugs in Russia, um, and they stuck him in jail. They were negotiating on that. Like, I guess politically, it's more important to see if they can free a famous athlete or semi-famous athlete who had some drug charges in Russia. Don't take drugs to Russia. That seems like an easy one to me. But anyway, um, that's the only thing they've negotiated on. Like, that is more important politically than uh, working to lower the risk of nuclear war. Uh, Biden's refused to talk to Putin. Um and maybe it's a good idea by no Dr. Putin. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that's what we do. Um, come to think of it, that's probably a bad idea. But there are people in the State Department who should be talking to their counterparts in the Russian State Department about how to end this uh, before it goes nuclear, as the expression is. Um, they're preparing to, to go on forever. Um, all right. The next thing I want to get into, I want to start talking about money because... Uh, Following the money is always a good thing. So U.S. funding, uh, so far it's been about $54 billion. Um, there's a new uh, package going on right now. Uh, it was Biden requested um, $14 billion more, uh, but they are only uh, doing $12 billion. Actually, this vote was yesterday, come to think of it. I don't know what happened. So if anybody knows, uh, give me a chat or a super chat I'll definitely see. I do have it set up so I can read chat. So I, I will take a breath and read some chats along the way. Um, if you do a super chat, Beverly will put it up. I can't miss those. Plus, you help us keep the lights on, which um, we're struggling with right now. I think we think YouTube is uh, censoring us, and that's a chunk of the what pays for the servers and keeps things in production. Uh, anyway, um, the U.S. government uh, so far has paid about 54, rounding off, 54 billion, $54 billion since February um, for Ukraine. That's what's been passed by Congress. Uh, I don't know if every dollar of it's been spent yet, but that's what they've allocated um, and passed. They're working on uh, another 12 billion that was voted on yesterday or supposed to be scheduled for a vote yesterday. Uh, that'll be 65 billion if that passes. Uh, there's no reason to expect it wouldn't pass. Um, Thanks for the super sticker. Yeah, those pop up. They show up in red on my screen. Uh, super sticker. I guess I don't even know what a super sticker is. But yeah, and 
thanks justifiably stupid. Um, <laughs> the fact that you're here means you're you're not stupid um, to me. <laughs> thanks for watching. Um, anyway, sixty five billion. That's a lot of money. Um, you know, what do they want to use it for? Uh, oh, yeah, here's the 54 number. So Zelensky, as they say, like, uh, there's a great um, Tucker Carlson video of it shows like, what is this guy in a T-shirt telling us that he needs 20 more billion from the American taxpayers now? Like, who is this guy in a T-shirt trying to tell us that? Uh, it's a great one. Um, anyway, yeah, the, the, the 2 billion that, the 14 billion that Biden requested, uh, Congress dropped a couple of things in there. One of them was monkeypox research. I don't, I'm not exactly sure why Biden requested, uh, you know, whatever it was, part of two billion for monkeypox research, and something else. I think Louisiana flood helper. Anyway, the monkeypox thing got deleted. That's one of the ways they got it down to 12 billion. So they're trying to save money. They're not going to spend 14 billion. They're only going to spend 12. Anyway, this is um, a Fox News article um, uh, going up to 65. Just trying to show you where some of these sources I have come from. Um, the the amount, a lot of this was done in direct weapons. So um, I don't actually know what the total is. I looked briefly for the show, but then it was time to go on the air and I never found it. Uh, but I did find this. This is from March 16th. So remember, February 24th was the invasion. So by March, uh, the U.S. government had already allocated $2 billion, um, and they sent them almost a billion. I think it was $800 million. Uh, This is in March. So this is two weeks, three weeks after the invasion. I just thought I'd, uh, just for fun, think about what, what your tax money has been doing this last six months. 800 Stinger anti-aircraft systems, 2,000 Javelins, those are little missiles, 1,000 light anti-arbor weapons, 6,000 84 anti-armor systems, 100 tactical unmanned aerial systems, those are drones, tactical drones. Um, those are the things that the U.S. government, this was, uh, was it Obama or Trump? I forget who, uh, ordered an assassination of a U.S. citizen uh, a few years ago, uh, and they've killed Lots and lots of people in Iraq, Afghanistan, um, with these things. So that's what those are. They gave they gave a hundred of them to Ukrainians. Um, I don't know if they're. I assume they're using them on the Donetsk and Luhansk people. That'd be a lot better than the Russian um, shells they were lobbing in there. Uh, now they can pinpoint schools and that sort of thing, like the U.S. government does. Take out a wedding. Anyway. I digress. 100 grenades launchers, 5,000 rifles, 1,000 pistols, 400 machine guns, 400 shotguns, 20 million rounds of small arms, ammunition, grenade launchers, mortar rounds, 25,000 sets of body armor, 25,000 um, helmets. Uh, in addition to the weapons listed above, previous United States assistance committed to Ukraine includes more Stinger anti-aircraft, 2,600 more job, Javelins, five MI-17 helicopters. That's fun. Few attack helicopters, three patrol boats, counter artillery, aerial tracking radars, uh, counter mortar radar, 200 grenade launchers, 200 shotguns, 200 machine guns, 40 million rounds of small arms ammunition, 1 million grenade mortar and artillery rounds, 70 uh, eight, um they're the fun version of the Humvee. 
uh, the real military ones, secure communications, electronic warfare, body armor, helmets, tactical gear, military, medical equipment, explosive ordnance disposal, satellite imagery, and analysis capability. Uh, again, um, we're talking about March 16th. This is just a couple weeks. So you can tell, there's no question, these guys were like, they were hair-triggered all set up. Um, they've been pushing Putin since 1991 and really hard since 2014. And when Putin actually did it, they were like, all right, game on, folks, let's go. They sent them all this stuff. Um, it's a crazy amount of stuff. The um, to, to keep this in mind, okay, Congress throws around these numbers, 65 billion, like 54 billion, 12 billion more. Uh, here's a billion worth of stuff right there. Like, what does that really represent? So I thought, well, I'm going to look up, like, just to get kind of a, a, a sense of that. Um, here's the Russian military expenditures from 93 to 2021. This is basically since the Cold War ended. Uh, that was 91, but uh, they, I guess they don't have the data for two years before that. This is in uh, Statista, generally pretty reliable place to get numbers. All right, 2021, there's a little uptick. Uh, 2021, the total Russian military expenditure was uh, $66 billion in today's U.S. dollars. So if the bill that was voted on yesterday passed and gets signed, which I expected it will, but uh, who knows? We're pretty close to it now. Um, the U.S. government, which is us, because government has no money, has spent in the last six months since Putin uh, invaded Ukraine, they spent the same amount of money that Russia spent in all of 2021 on all of their military. We sent that to Ukraine. Um, another uh, uh, kind of a scale thing, I looked up roads. So the total federal funding for all roads that they did, all 50 states and DC and territories uh, last year in 2021, was 53 billion. So um, if you're an American taxpayer or you're not born yet because they borrow money and print like willy nilly, um, they print like the Weimar Republic, uh, the federal government has given more money and weapons to Ukraine in the last six months to stir up this war with Russia than they spent all last year on roads and more money than the entire Russian military spent all last year. Like that's the kind of numbers we're talking about here. There's a lot of money getting floating around. So follow the money is always an interesting thing. So there's two reference points for you for what they're doing. Uh, more than all the roads, more than the, uh, about the same as what the Russian military spent all last year. Um, and that's just the US, the EU is also funding it. So uh, Ukraine just got 2 billion in euros um, just recently, and that's part of a $5 billion total package um, that uh, 5 billion euros, not dollars, which is about the same. Um, so the U.S., there's another 5 billion uh, from the from the EU. Uh, in mid-October, they got 2 billion of that. And another little money thing, this is a little bit of a side, but it uh, kind of amuses me. So, because um, it's fun watching uh, Elon Musk. So, as a little aside, let me talk about Elon Musk. Um, uh, Starlink, which is uh, part of SpaceX, uh, the the satellite internet system. Uh, Starlink has been spending the, their own money since February 
about 20 million a month in expenses. Uh, they donated terminals, thousands of terminals to the Ukraine government and have been providing internet service for free uh, since February to the Ukraine government and the military. Um, Ukraine has said that this is critical for operating both the government and for the military operations. Like they require this. this is they, That's a term I heard, critical, translated from Ukrainian, I assume. But um, they consider this uh, quite important. And part of the problem is that Russia has taken out a lot of their infrastructure. So the land-based internet throughout Ukraine is uh, severely disrupted by the war. Um, and that is how Russia started, was uh, attacking that kind of infrastructure stuff to try to, you know, they were disabling. Uh, before they really started attacking people, they were doing a lot of infrastructure. Anyway, Starlink, um, uh, Elon Musk, Starlink, SpaceX, uh, they've been providing about 20, 20 million. Um, and it's also in use by private citizens. Some, uh, they have to buy their own terminals. Uh, Elon Musk isn't donating for that, as far as I know. Um, Maybe he did some. I don't know. The terminals that I know of were donated to the government and for the military um, by Ukraine. So Elon Musk has been supporting Ukraine in this war to the tune of 20 million a month since February. Uh, that's some serious cash, even for a guy like Elon. Uh, you know, 80 million, 100 million, something like that. Uh, and the problem is that Russia, one of the problems besides um they're bleeding cash bad. Um, it's the, the costs are going up because Russia has been working harder and harder to hack and, and interfere and uh, disable the Starlink system. So now SpaceX and Elon Musk, they got this problem that Russia is spending a lot of effort to try to disable Starlink. And so they're spending a lot more money countering that threat. And Elon Musk is saying that they're looking at 30 million a month um, in the near future. Uh, so he's talking if we have to do this for another 10 months, uh, if you guys keep this war going, we're talking $300 million. Uh, that'll bankrupt Starlink. Like they can't do that. Um, I assume Elon Musk does not want Starlink to go in the way of every single previous attempt to do satellite internet to the public, which all failed in bankruptcy. It's such a, it's a super complicated, expensive thing to do. Um, nobody's, nobody's uh, seated yet at that. And Elon Musk might be able to, <clears throat> the, the guy that uh, can lower the cost of putting a satellite or a man to the space station, putting up a satellite by a factor of 10, um, uh, compete with NASA. That's not an easy thing to do. And even though you can get in the argument of uh, Elon's first thing he does is go to the government and get special favors and all. Um, either way, he's working in the environment he has to work in. He's managed to put satellites up for a tenth of the cost of the federal government through NASA. Um, and that's why SpaceX is now doing the supplies for the International Space Station, because they can do it for a tenth of the cost. Um, anyway, that's a guy who maybe could pull this off. And that's what Starlink is. It's a cool thing, Starlink, if you live remotely. Um, I, uh, Beverly would love to have a Starlink, I'm sure. I hear her talking about it. Anyway, um, if you want to live in uh, rural Pennsylvania, um, Starlink's a great way to, to get it, if you can get it to work, if they do it. Anyway, so uh, sorry to digress. That's why it's easier to read me, save time. <laughs> um Elon Musk is looking at his numbers and saying, we, we can't afford this. we got to end this war. 
So he came up with some peace proposals. Seems like a reasonable thing. There's a lot of people who are thinking about peace right now, basically saying like, hey, guys, why don't you just end this? This is this is uh, getting ludicrous. Uh, here's some peace proposals. Guess what happened to Musk? All the regime media attacks him for being a Russian supporter, pro-Putin stooge. He's a Russian agent. And then a um, ambassador, I think it was the ambassador to Germany. Uh, he says, I don't normally, I don't think I've ever said this word in here, but since I'm quoting a, a Ukrainian ambassador, uh, I think it's the ambassador to Germany, um, his response to Elon Musk was, fuck you. So how do you react? Uh, how would you react? How I know how I would react. Like you think, okay, I just donated $80 million. I'm risking bankrupting a new company I got going here. Um, 80 million, even for Musk is a lot of money. The response is F you and being called a Russian agent. Uh, Elon Musk, uh, he said, it, it's funny if you read his Twitter account. Um, he just said, Okay, I'll oblige your FU, Russia. We're going to shut down Starlink in Ukraine. Um, and he did say if the federal government, U.S. federal government funds it, maybe he'll keep it on. Um, and the Pentagon is considering funding Starlink for Ukraine. Um, I think it's funny. I would just shut them down because I don't think we should be helping them. And uh, Elon Musk is uh, he's kind of a based guy. And stuff like that. So he just said, okay. And he, he, his, like I said, check his Twitter account. He's funny. He just says, all right, I'll, I'll oblige you. We'll shut it down. Um, all right. I'm going to cover a couple more things here. I'm going to stop the share here. Beverly's training me on how to do this myself. So if this uh, takes, um, I think I did, did I not even show the stream? <laughs> I can't remember now. Um, somebody in chat will have to pull it. Uh, James Dugan said, I would pull the Starlink. Yeah, I agree, James. Um, that's what I would do. Uh, anyway, I don't know if I actually showed this successfully or not, but um, just in case I didn't, because when I looked down, it wasn't there. Uh, 65, 66 uh, billion in current dollars. That was the military spending in Russia. Um, again, if I do something wrong with driving this, uh, just let me know. Okay. Um, that's the Starlink. Uh, a couple other events. I'm just going to kind of blast through some other things that happened. Um, the Nord Stream 1 and 2 pipelines, that's a whole. It's two different sets. I don't have any of our total, but there's several pipelines in each project. Um, that's this long thing across the North Sea from Russia to Germany. Uh, they were shut down by Germany due to sanctions against Russia. Um, sanctions are an act of war, so Germany is committing an act of war against Russia. And Sanctions uh, are extra fun for the government because they're actually an attack against the people of your own country. So Germany is committing an act of war against the people of its own country um, by shutting down a huge source of energy in Germany and other parts of Western Europe. Um, those pipelines go to Germany and Germany resells the natural gas uh, elsewhere into Europe. That's been shut down since the beginning of this war. Um, following the U.S. lead with, with the sanctions. Um, I, I don't want to laugh about it. Uh, for people who know where Germany is, it's pretty far north, um, like Nova Scotia far north. Uh, it gets cold there in the winter. Um, and this is a big source of heat. So firewood is a trending 
Twitter hashtag in Germany right now. Um, and they're serious. They're importing firewood from Canada. I know that's crazy. But yeah, they cut down trees in Canada and ship them across the ocean. And they use them in their green energy plants. And they're going to be using them for firewood. So it's hard to imagine such a, a developed Western country as Germany seriously looking at heating their homes with firewood. Uh, you know, like 1800s level technology, even though I had a wood stove at home and I lived in New Jersey. Um, I love it. It's fun on the weekends to heat the house with wood for home early in the evening, run the wood stove, turn the heat on. It's really cool. Um, I have relatives up in North Vermont and all that. Uh, they, they heat with wood almost all the time. They're in a wooded area. There's wood all around. Wood's pretty cheap. It's cheaper than oil. Um, and have an old leaky house, uh, that's the way to do it. But you talk about a city, and in Germany, uh, Europe, for people who've been to Europe, they cut down all the trees in Europe like hundreds and hundreds of years ago. There's really not. That's why they have to import trees from Canada for their green energy plants. Anyway, again, I digress. So these two pipelines were built, and Russia was selling natural gas to Germany, and hence to the rest of Europe. Somebody blew them up. Um, you probably heard the reports like who blew them up? No one's taking credit. Terrorist organizations normally take credit like two seconds after the event. Uh, also, I've uh, read a little bit about it. Um, it's a pretty difficult thing to pull off. Uh, it seems that it's either the UK or the United States. They're the two obvious candidates who could pull this off and, um, get away with it secretly. Uh, you know, there was first talks of, you know, some of the other European countries do it, but basically the, the consensus seems to be nobody else has the capability of doing that. So uh, we're, I'm quite curious. I hope we eventually find this out, but they were large explosions, like large, large, large amounts of explosives deep under the sea, in particular points next to a pipeline that's hard to find if you don't know where it is. Um, and there was two of them and three explosions, two different sets of pipelines, and they went off at the same time. Um, that seems crazy. Like, who did that? Obviously, they're trying to uh, egg this on. Of course, the theories come out in the beginning that it's Russia. That's ridiculous. Like, first off, if Russia didn't want the gas to flow, they can turn it off from their end. Like they're the ones supplying the gas. Secondly, it's a huge external source of cash for Russia was. Um, Russia didn't want to lose that. If I would, I don't know for sure, but Russia doesn't have sanctions against selling gas to Germany right now. If Germany wanted to buy gas, uh, Russia would sell it. I don't know why they wouldn't. I assume Russia would sell it. So the idea that Russia would do this, uh, that's silly. Uh, plus, if you've been watching the news or listening to me today, Russia's pretty busy. Um, and as far as egging on the war, I don't even see a good theory for why this would help Russia. Um, so I, I think it's close to nil the chance that Russia did it, which is the other the other country that has a military that maybe could pull it off. Um, the other problem is if Russia had ships military ships over these pipelines at the time of that explosion, uh, we would be hearing a lot about it. Um, but there were Aegis, American Aegis cruisers in the area. Uh, there's all kinds of ships um, 
in there. There's American, I don't know if it's a used cruiser. I shouldn't say that. I've forgotten what kind of ships were, but there were American, large American military ships in that area uh, just before those explosions and at the time of the explosions. I'm not, I'm just saying that, I don't know who did it, but somebody's obviously wants this war to, to escalate. Uh, that's why you take the Nord Stream out. Um, there's talk that uh, one of them, one of them still has gas in it, one of the pipelines, uh, and maybe with some repair, that would be fine. And Germany is saying there may be one or two more that can be repaired. If Germany can repair them, it's expected that they will do that. Uh, but that's a tricky thing. It's deep in the water. Um, another thing, the Kerch Strait Bridge that connects Crimea to Russia. Somebody blew that up. Um, Crimea uh, has since 2014 has been part of Russia. Um, there's a lot of stuff moves back and forth across that strait. Um, if you look at the map, I can uh, show that quickly here. Um, I meant to do this earlier uh, here. here. Here's the map. Um, here's Crimea. This is the strait here. We're talking about the Kirchen Strait. Um, it goes from this part of Russia into Crimea. Um, this Sevastopol, that's the uh, warm water base. That's the reason that um, Russia does not want access to Crimea to go away. Uh, I don't think I mentioned it, but um, prior to the uh, annexation, uh, prior to the vote of Crimea to leave Ukraine, uh, Ukraine had a lease agreement with Russia for Sevastopol. Um, that's the only warm water Navy base for Russia. They cannot have, they are, they are not going to lose that. I, I think, I suspect Putin would do whatever it takes to keep Sevastopol. Um, otherwise, the Russian Navy would be icebound all winter. Uh, you can't, I, I can't imagine Russia would let that happen. Um, so I think that's a line in the sand. And when Crimea voted to, to in the referendum to leave Ukraine and join Russia, when Ukraine was talking about banning Russian as an official language and, and other anti-Russia economic measures, um, it seems the US, the UN, uh, even though a lot of places didn't officially recognize it, they did let that one go. So I think even the Pentagon guys uh, look at that and like, eh, yeah, we better just let this Crimea thing just lie because um, uh, that's their only warm water port. Anyway, I just want to talk about the strait. So uh, that's the only way to get from by truck, car, whatever, from Russia into Crimea. Uh, there's a railroad line right next to that bridge. Uh, the bomb that blew up um, started a fire in a fuel train uh, on that railroad, but the railroad survived two of the four spans are still drivable. So they didn't manage to take the whole uh, bridge out. Um, and why this is up, uh, it's it's always interesting to look at a place that uh, most of us didn't even really know where this was before this war. Um, but anyway, this whole Eastern part here, this is all really Russian people for the most part, ethnically Russian speakers. Um, what's happened is some of these other parts are also now voting, who knows if the votes are right, um, they don't want this either. Uh, they're tired of all this. They want to just join Russia and be done. Um, but anyway, this this pink part here, that's the Donbass uh, to Daban regions. That's where 14,000 people have been killed by the Ukraine government since 2014. Okay, there's that aside. Um, I have to find where I'm at in my notes. Yeah, the Kerch Strait Bridge. So somebody blew that up. 
Now, Ukraine sort of took credit. Uh, they certainly are celebrating it. U.S. government celebrating, NATO celebrating, a lot of Western um, governments were celebrating. The regime media in the U.S. is like, oh, yeah, okay. Um, the problem is that's like deep inside Russia, really. So uh, blowing up a bridge inside Russia that's a key uh, transportation route, um, if you're interested in peace, that's not the thing to do. Um, anyway, it was a truck bomb. Uh, it came out of Armenia. Uh, it went through Russia, and it was traveling toward Crimea at the time. Uh, the guy who who owns that is Russian. He's claiming like, I don't know nothing about it. He owns a trucking company, owns a truck. Uh, it's not even clear if the driver knew. Um, he could have been just a, a dupe. Uh, it was a tractor trailer. Um, large explosion. Uh, actually, I had a, a picture of it. Um, anyway, the uh, it, it, it's been at least widely celebrated and take take credit of it. Uh, there's open source discussions in in the UK that SAS is involved. SAS uh, was involved in that. That SAS uh, provided the uh, explosives. Uh, perhaps they had a remote detonator, and the driver didn't even know. It seems likely that uh, nobody knew. It passed a checkpoint in Russia. Um, whatever they were faking it, I don't know the details of how they faked that. Uh, but it had to be a truck full of explosions. Um, so uh, I heard this, if you're familiar with Colonel Douglas uh, McGregor, uh, he was on uh, Napolitano's Judging Freedom podcast. Great show, by the way, as an aside. Um, he was talking about the capabilities of the British um, Special Forces, the SAS, and that he considers the stories uh, quite possible, maybe likely, like, uh, are the British trying to help egg this on? So I tried to verify that. Um, so here's my, uh, I'll start to be getting hashtag sarcasm, but I'm actually thinking, I don't know if I'm really being sarcastic. The day of that explosion, a British army expert by the name of Tony Spammer, um, I have the link here, but I, I've been showing a lot of links. Uh, well, I won't bother with this one. You can look it up. It's called The Sun, the US Sun. Um, British army expert, Tony Spammer, uh, he's a army bridge demolition expert for the UK. The day of the explosion, he went on, he quote unquote, cast doubt on the bomb, the truck bomb theory. He said, hey, you know, it's unlikely a truck couldn't do that. It wouldn't blow up that way. It wouldn't do that to the bridge. That's not the way it, it, it was attacked from underneath. That's, that must be what happened. Um, and then they reported there was mysterious shapes under the bridge the moments before um, articles from that time. If you look at the day of the explosion, it's like pictures of Ukrainian drone, you know, bomb boat washed up on a beach or something. Um, anyway, I kind of think you see that whole story. Like the, the theory is that um, it was a bomb boat, uh, a drone bomb boat underneath the bridge that had to be attacked from underneath. That's what a British army bridge demolition expert was saying the day of the explosion. Um, I don't know why he jumped in so fast. To me, that's like a backhanded confirmation that the SAS did it, that the British government had involved. I'm being a little bit sarcastic, but um, that's kind of funny. They're like top bridge demolition experts says it couldn't have been a truck bomb the day that a truck bomb blows up the bridge. Uh, we all know it was a truck bomb now. Anyway, um, <coughs> it's, of course, being celebrated and touted as, like, huge success. Whoever did it, Ukraine government, British government, one of those two. 
um, or maybe, and perhaps both, maybe more likely both. Uh, I don't know. I haven't heard a theory that the U.S. government was involved in this one. Um, but anyway, uh, two of the lanes are, are in use. So the bridge survived. Uh, the railroad next to it um, has a, uh, had a fuel train on it. Uh, they blew up the truck bomb next to a fuel train. That's interesting. Um, the fuel train caught on fire, but the railroad survived. Most military equipment uh, shipped around Russia goes by rail. So the rail survived. Taking out that bridge, probably one of, from what I've heard, probably one of uh, taking out that much. Um, uh, James says in chat, there was footage of a barge under the bridge just before the explosion. So is that the mysterious, maybe that's a mysterious shape. Um, it's possible, but uh, from what everybody's saying now, uh, the um, um, bridge is still open. So uh, it's a double double bridge. So uh, even if you took out one whole span then couldn't be fixed, uh, you got the other span. So I'm going to just read a couple of comments because I saw another one interesting here from El Vaquero555. Hello. Buenos tardes. One leg of the Nord Stream 2 survived. Russia told the Germans they'd turn it on if Germany was willing to pay. Uh, so um, El Vaquero is saying that, yeah, Russia, what I would expect that Russia would sell natural gas to Europe if it wanted. Russia doesn't have sanctions against selling gas to Europe. Why would they do that? Uh, I don't think Putin, you might call him evil, but uh, Putin is not a stupid guy. Um, so sure, I, it's another reason that they, they want. So the, the fact what he's saying here, um, Russia told the Germans they turn it back on. Uh, if they said that and then they blew it up, like those things don't work. So I don't think. I don't take it. Uh, and then he said, of course, the U.S. did it. They want to sell energy to Europe. Uh, it's been the U.S. plan for 10 plus years. Probably true. Um, oh, also, I didn't know this is interesting. Elva Kerr, thank you. Russia has a lease on a naval facility in Syria. I didn't know that. Um, it doesn't border Russia, but uh, it is. Uh, you can drive without going through uh, too much. I don't th I think. Yeah, you can drive to Syria. Um so that's a that's a good place. It's not like uh, Sevastopol, and and you know so close to Russia. But I didn't know about that. Um, most of the uh, Sevastopol is a huge base uh, for uh, Russia. Um, actually, I did. I worked for a defense contractor. I did naval communication stuff for for twenty years. So yeah, I've uh, I've heard of that place. I'll just I'll leave it at that. Um, heard of Sevastopol, but I didn't know about the Syria one. Maybe there's no subs there. Um, <laughs> and uh, here comes the dim side. Sevastopol is a type of goose, too. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we, we do need a little uh, lightening up on this, on this particular topic. Anyway, um, I digress from reading comments. Uh, the rail survived, uh, so the military supplies are still um, moving across. So anyway, what was the reaction to this? You could say blowing up the pipeline, maybe as part of it, um, immediately after the bridge. So somebody blew up the pipeline, somebody blew up the Kerch Strait Bridge to Crimea. Uh, Russia's reaction, uh, they responded by missile attacks and they started attacking some targets that they haven't been. Uh, Putin's been doing kind of a low level thing, taking out infrastructure. Um, yeah, they've hit some apartments and that sort of thing, but 
they haven't done like an all out assault. Um, but anyway, uh, they responded with um, uh, missile attacks, uh, all kinds of targets that they weren't previously targeting. Uh, Ukraine reported that a quarter of the missiles were shot down. This is kind of funny. Um, read about the little bit. Like uh, I saw one that uh, one one group shot down two cruise missiles headed from Russia to Kiev with a shoulder fired any uh, helicopter weapon. Uh, that like yeah, when the zombie apocalypse comes around, I want a guy on my six that can take out a cruise missile with a shoulder fired. Uh, helicopter. Um, yeah, that's hard to believe. You know, a cruise missile going overhead, I saw a calculation estimated 40 seconds, um, several times the speed of sound. Typically those things go. So uh, yeah, how, what, what's, how, how far do you lead that? So just picture a, a shoulder fired, like first off, they're hard to hold and shoot. I've never shot one, but um, they're kind of recoilless, I guess, the way they work, but it's a big thing. Uh, you can hit a helicopter that's right there overhead if you're good with it, right? Um, it, it's pretty hard to hit a plane. It uh, has to be like super slow, low-flying in a plane. Our, our cruise missile, like a, a missile um, heading maybe hundreds of miles that goes overhead. Like you look up, calculate the altitude, calculate the speed, estimate the lead time, calculate the angle in your head by eye. You got to know the travel time of your shoulder-fired missile. How much do you lead it? Which way is this going? Pull the trigger. Uh, and like <laughs> one one little group took out two that way. Um, sorry for my skepticism. Uh, that doesn't sound possible. Um, I'd like to see the numbers on that. Uh, it, it's not quite my field, but uh, my minor was physics uh, with a concentration of astrophysics. So uh, my degree is engineering. Uh, yeah, show me the numbers on how you can take down a, a missile with a uh, anti-helo shoulder fire rocket. Maybe it's possible. I don't know. That's a hell of a shot. That's right up there in that uh, Kyle, the sniper that did the headshot at two miles uh, with a, with a fifty cal. Um, yeah, that's a that's quite a shot, and it's on a moving target. That's a good one. Anyway, again, I digress. If I was writing, I wouldn't have gone through all that. Sorry for the time. Um, anyway, that's what Russia did. That's the response. So as far as escalating, which is really my whole point here, that's why I'm rambling on about this. Uh, somebody's trying to escalate this. We know the U.S. is trying to escalate it. We know uh, the U.K. is trying to escalate it. We know NATO is trying to escalate it. Putin is escalating. I don't know if he wants to or not. Um, hard to tell. Uh the explosion of the pipeline and the bridge, the Kerch Strait Bridge, was reacted to by Russia with missile attacks like major. So 80% of Ukraine's air defense was taken out. That's what the reports are. Um, I forget who said the 80%, but one confirmation has been Zelensky uh, all over, like demanding that the U.S. send more air uh, defense equipment and air attack equipment, like seems to make sense the way they're like screaming for more money um, for that particular thing. I uh, tend to believe it's somewhere in that range. Anyway, winter's coming. So if you think like what's going to happen next, winter's coming. Uh, winter is totally Russia's advantage. Like Russia's got all the fuel it needs. No problem. 
Uh, it can move troops around. It can send missiles. It can heat everybody's house. Like, that's a cool thing. Uh, Europe? Mm -mm. Europe's in big trouble this winter uh, if something doesn't change. Um, secondly, the ground is about to freeze up there. Once the ground freezes, uh, Russia's got, like, full movement with troops everywhere easily. Russia's got the advantage in that kind of equipment. So once the ground freezes, uh, if the UN, if the US and NATO um, and the Ukraine, which is their their stooges, um, basically they report to the US government, uh, from what I can tell, uh, once the ground freezes, um, I wouldn't expect this to go any better. The the regime media is continuously reporting that you know Ukraine is winning. Uh, that's bogus. Uh, if Ukraine could win, it'd already be over. Uh, second off, uh, Ukraine doesn't have any nuclear weapons. Putin's got the more than anybody in the world. Um, Putin's going to win this unless they turn it into World War III. And if they turn it into World War III, nobody wins. Uh, that's the, uh, you know, the mutual assured destruction mad scenario. Like, those are the two choices here. Um, Ukraine and Europe are going to be in big trouble. Ukraine's got huge energy problems right now. They're, they're even... You know, I, I saw a few days ago uh, they took out the uh, local power to a, a nuclear Ukrainian nuclear plant that they're they're taking out infrastructure. So Ukraine's going to be in trouble for energy. Your, Europe's already in trouble. Um, Russia has plenty of fuel. So as far as a protracted proxy war, the way they're doing it right now, uh, seems to me, my guess, Russia's going to take it out. Um the uh, there were new referendums done. I just wanted to mention that um, to leave Ukraine. It's not only um, the Donbas regions now. Uh, there's some other regions voted, and I don't know if the stats are right. Uh, they were conducted by Russia, so you can say these areas are under Russian occupation, and they had a vote. Um, I don't know whether to trust that or not, but it's understandable people want to leave. So. Um, the results were reported to be overwhelmingly join Russia, like, uh, and they reported a high turnout. I don't know whether to believe that, but I'm inclined to think that there was a decent turnout and joining Russia won. Seems reasonable. Russian-speaking people. Um, Ukraine's been shelling a large area for eight years, killed 14,000 people. Um, and then now eight months of war with the U.S. just egging it on, sending more guns, sending more money, egging it on, not even willing to contemplate discussing peace. Um, another thing that's going on right now that's fun to think about, the um, this week, guess what started on Monday? Uh, NATO and the U.S. are conducting nuclear war exercises. It's called Operation Steadfast Noon. Now, if you're thinking about peace or versus um, thinking about uh, starting a nuclear war. Like, what would you do this week? So here's the idea. This is what NATO and the U.S. did. They're conducting exercises on nuclear war, specifically nuclear war exercises. Steadfast Noon is the name of operation. Um, for anybody that hasn't heard of this, they're practicing invasion and annihilation of Russia. That's what they're doing. Um, it's over Belgium, the North Sea, and the UK. They said that 600 miles from Russia is the, the uh, minimum. They're not going to go closer than 600 miles from Russia. But that's not that far. That's like where Charleston, South Carolina is for me. 
I'd be nervous if Russia was coming, was doing a joint exercise with 60 aircraft, fighters, B-52 bombers, tankers, surveillance planes. Uh, there's 14 of the 30 member, 30 NATO member countries are participating uh, in a week-long exercise practicing nuclear invasion and annihilation of Russia. Uh, anyway, that's what they're doing this week. That's their good idea. If anybody think that's a good idea. Um, and then Putin's sitting back there in Moscow watching this and thinking, huh, what are these guys doing? Um, so here's the question. Here's the next question. Will Russia lose? Uh, the podcast I mentioned earlier, um, Doug McGregor, Colonel Doug McGregor, great guy to listen to on this stuff, especially if you want to get away from the, like, the, I love the Scott Horton, any war guys he has on. Uh, Doug McGregor is a great fat guy, and he's a little more in the uh, the regime part, but he's but he's still willing to speak out. Uh, he said, uh, you know, Judge Napolitano asked him, "Will Russia lose?" His reaction was, "No," like that, like emphatic, "No." Russia's not going to lose this, and he presented the argument why. Um, he's also saying that you know Putin is he, he, you know, is a guy that actually he knows. Uh, Putin's made it clear is what he said. He's not going to use nuclear weapons unless attacked by nuclear weapons. So it is kind of up to the U.S., Great Britain, um, to decide to make this nuclear. Um, I don't know. Who do you trust? I don't trust Biden or Putin. Uh, I'm inclined to trust Putin a little more than Biden for reasons I won't get into right now. Um, he's saying they're pro he doesn't expect it to go nuclear. He also says Russia's going to win this. Uh, it, it's possible the only alternative is World War III and nobody wins. Uh, he didn't say that. That's that's me thinking. But um, Russia's got the advantage here. All right. I, I promised I would do a follow the money. Um, let me go through this really quick. So like I said, follow the money. I used to do a show called Liberty Solutions before this one. Follow the money was always a section I did. God, I'm going long here. I didn't mean to be this long. I've been fired up about this, so I got too many notes. Anyway, uh, for anybody that's still hanging in with me, expansion of NATO is a huge cash cow. Um, if you read the U.S. plans, like what the U.S. plan is doing right now, they're planning on rearming the Ukraine military. So all of these former Soviet bloc countries, including Ukraine, um, they have Russian weapons mostly. Uh, that was one of the problems with the aircraft, like, they give them American helicopters, but Ukraine uses Russian jets, Russian helicopters, Russian guns, Russian mortars, Russian. It's all Russian stuff. Um, and they buy spare parts from Russia, but they're obviously not getting spare parts right now. Uh, the, the, the way U.S. Um, can save Ukraine in this is to sell them all new weapons. Uh, that's There's some cash if you want to follow the money. Uh, U.S. has a plan over the next 10 years. U.S. government has a plan over the next 10 years to replace everything in Ukraine, all the Russian stuff with U.S. built stuff. Um, that's small arms to fighter aircraft, the whole gamut, all of it. Also in that plan is to rearm all of the Soviet bloc countries that are part of NATO. Um, you know, the U.S. is obligated under the NATO treaty to go to war if a country's attacked. These places have mostly Russian weapons left over. Like that's what they know how to 
too. Like in Ukraine, they talked about, you know, we're going to send them F- old F-16s from Poland or something or F-35s. Like, But no, none of those guys know how to fly that stuff. They're trained in MiGs. Um, so we're talking, I made a list, Slovakia, uh, Chechnya, Bulgaria, Romania, Hungary, Poland, Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, Ukraine. There may be some more in there I missed. Like you're talking some cash here. Uh, maybe we should be buying stock in Raytheon, Lockheed Martin, Boeing, Northrop Grumman. Like you know how much money this is to to those companies and to the congressmen of their districts for campaigns and uh, all these executives that go back and forth between uh, DC three-letter agencies and these companies. I'll read that again. Slovakia, Chechnya, Bulgaria, Romania, Hungary, Poland, Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, Ukraine. Replace everything from pistols to fighter jets in all those places. Uh, I think that's what they actually want. Like that's the purpose of this. To me, follow the money. I think that's the whole purpose. Um, Going to rearm all the former Soviet bloc countries and over the next 10 years. And the best way for them to accomplish that is to get everybody stirred up. And if people are like, you know, New York is putting out nuclear war, uh, how to handle what happens when a nuclear bomb goes off in New York City. It's all part of this. This whole thing is part of this uh, fear mongering. Uh, and, and it's actually true. They are threatening nuclear war. So um, that's what this is. So the boundary of Ukraine like, that's really what we're arguing about here. You know, should this line be here or over here? Uh, like I went through uh, the, the history of Ukraine and what's around Ukraine. Um, I don't know where the line should be in Ukraine. You got Polish-speaking people, Ukrainian people speak R- Russian heritage, Russian-speaking people, and, and there's more. I don't even know them all. Uh, I don't know where these lines should be. They've moved... You know, every 50, 100 years or so, 200 years, the lines have moved for the last 1,500 years. So I don't claim to know where the lines in Ukraine should be. I don't think the U.S. government should be trying to to get into this business. Um, This is all ridiculous. So uh, the lines have varied throughout history. What's correct now? I don't know. It's not for us to dictate. We should leave Europe to Europe. I know I always talk about the Constitution. I got to flash this up once during the show. Constitution. Uh, this is going to war, like handing guns and money to Ukraine to fund a war is part of the war. U.S. is part of it. They've also done sanctions. It can't use force. Uh, we shouldn't even be supporting without a declaration of war. This requires Congress to declare war before the president can conduct the war for a good reason. You don't want the same person make the decision to go to war and to end a war and also conduct the war. That's too much of a conflict of interest. Uh, bad news. So that's that's a danger. All this is being done under that uh, AUMF, the Authorization for Use of Military Force that was passed in uh, after 9-11 to go after the terrorists. Uh, they've expanded that to be, we can spend any, any money on anything, put troops anywhere we want, attack and overthrow any country we want. Um, all that came out of the, the 9-11. Never let a crisis go to waste. Um, anyway, uh, I'm going to kind of talk. I got two more things, and then I'm going to close this out. This is a long show. <laughs> I just read a quote. I have to read this one because it's hilarious from James Dugan. Thank you. He said, 
don't forget 10% for the big guy. Yeah, I didn't even get into the big guy and, uh, you know, this, this, the, the reward for what did Biden withhold a, a billion dollars in aid to Ukraine? Um, and the reward for that is clearly uh, Biden's son, Hunter, getting a job as a consultant, whatever you call it, high paid, very highly paid uh, consultant in an energy company in Ukraine, uh, a business he knows absolutely nothing about, conducted in a language he doesn't speak. That's my summary of that, with 10% for the big guy. Um, we know who the big guy is now. And now he's president. So yeah, he's he's all over this. Anyway, uh, I thought of, I've been doing this thought experiment. I've been working this out. So so here it is. Um, I'd like you guys to to think through this. And this is a thought experiment. Like I said, um, it's an analogy. So uh, think about if the Warsaw Pact was still around. So you know how NATO continued after nineteen. 19- uh, 1991, when the Cold War ended, they kept NATO around. Like the purpose of NATO is gone. NATO was to counter the Soviet Union. Soviet Union's gone. They should have ended NATO, but they didn't. They repurposed NATO to be an anti-Russia. Russia is not Soviet Union. Not by a long stretch. Um, yeah, Russia's GDP is like less than Germany, and it, it's it's not even a. Yeah, Russia is not the Soviet Union, that's all I'll say. Uh, so the Warsaw Pact was the equivalent of NATO, <clears throat> Poland and Russian. I mean, that was the uh, opposition to NATO. Uh, when Soviet Union ended, they just, that's all broken up. It doesn't even exist anymore. Okay, so here's my thought experiment. Assume the Warsaw Pact uh, stayed after the Cold War. Uh, and I want to do a Canadian-Canada al- analogy. So just think. And again, I have to say right up front, this is just a thought experiment. Um, there's some things about this are ridiculous, including the first one. So President Justin Trudeau moves more towards capitalism and away from socialism. It's a thought experiment. Just pictured Justin Trudeau wanted to move away from socialism. He was getting kind of pro-capitalism. Russia objects because Russia and Canada have Canada had a had a tie, and they do actually have some trade ties. The Russian State Department handpicks a new president for Canada to replace Justin Trudeau. He's a pro-Russia guy named Zelensky with an I on the end. He's a Russian guy. Um, So the State Department of Russia picks a new president. Uh, The Russian KGB also still exists. So the KGB orchestrates a coup. They do a forceful overthrow of the Ottawa government. Trudeau secretly escapes by helicopter to Quebec as shots are fired as a diversionary car trying to get away from the Parliament building um, on the river there in Ottawa. Um, So then the next thing happens, Ottawa passes a law, they ban the French language as an official Canadian language. So, you know, Canada, there's two languages, English and French. So Ottawa passes a law, they ban French. Quebec has a referendum, which they've had multiple times to secede and become independent. Uh, This is the final straw. Quebec finally votes to uh, to secede from Canada. They become independent. They petition to join Russia. Russian accepts them. They join. Then neo-Nazi groups that are kind of pro-Russia, they gain power in the Canadian military. Uh, Canada is not happy about Quebec seceding and joining Russia. They don't recognize Russia. Uh, 
They don't recognize Quebec as part of Russia. The U.S. government doesn't recognize. Uh, the U.N. doesn't. Um, so Ottawa starts shelling Quebec. So for eight years, Ottawa shells Quebec. They kill 15,000 people in Quebec over eight years. Uh, then Canada joins the Warsaw Pact in my scenario. Uh, Russia installs missile sites in Ontario, New Brunswick, and Nova Scotia that are capable of reaching D.C. with nuclear weapons. Um, what would the U.S. do? That's my scenario. My theory about what the U.S. would do is it would be shock and awe, too. Uh, remember Iraq, Baghdad? Um, that's what the U.S. would do. Ottawa would look, would look like Baghdad right now. That is quite likely what the U.S. would do in this scenario. Uh, then the U.S. would take over Ottawa and install a pro-U.S. government. That's my thought experiment. Um, uh, the, the biggest stretch in here, I think, is that Justin Trudeau moves more towards capitalism, away from socialism. The rest of it's quite plausible. Uh, maybe you have to use a different president to make that more plausible. Anyway, I'm just going to like touch on a few solutions and end this. I've really been going for a long time. So negotiation of peace, nah, that was ruled out of the question in mid-October by the U.S. Uh, officials. Um, like I said, the only negotiation that the U.S. has conducted with Russia was for release of the athlete caught with drugs traveling in Russia. Um, peace has not been publicly even considered by Ukraine. They're planning on keeping this war going, I don't know, indefinitely, it looks. Um, if peace was what they were interested in uh, before the invasion. So before February 24th of this year, my opinion, they could have had peace. Ukraine could have committed to not joining NATO. Ukraine could have stopped the eight-year bombing campaign, shelling campaign against Donbass and recognized the independence that those two republics are independent countries. Uh, the U.S., the U.N., Europe, could have the EU could have recognized Crimea as part of Russia and just said formally, okay, uh, we're done. Um, I think that would have been the solution in January of this year, and we wouldn't have any war. That doesn't seem like a big deal to me. Uh, if you don't want war, those are pretty small things to do, really. We don't need to run Ukraine. Now, it's probably another story. I don't think that's enough. So I think they have to re redraw this borderland I'm using the English translation of Ukraine. Um, redraw uh, Ukraine for the nth time in a thousand years. Uh, the eastern parts are going to be Russia, Crimea, Donetsk, Luhansk, and probably a couple other parts. That's how this is going to play out. My prediction, predicting the future has a terrible track record, I know, but that's what I would expect. Uh, the eastern parts are going to end up being part of Russia. Uh, Ukraine's probably going to have to commit to not join NATO. Um, I don't know how that'll play out. And then the U.S. and U.N. recognize Crimea, Donbass, and any other part uh, as part of Russia. We'll see. Um, I think the alternative is, is just escalation and more war. And we'll all be sitting here wondering, waiting for the H-bombs. Uh, long-term, the long-term solution to me is completely obvious. Uh, we got to disband NATO entirely. Uh, it's worse than useless. It's dangerous. Uh, it's against U.S. interests. Disband NATO. Um, U.S. needs to pull all the missile batteries and all the troops out of Eastern Europe along Russian borders. Just stop with that stuff. And then follow George Washington's advice on European affairs. Like, 
I don't know why this is so hard, folks. Um, follow their advice. All right. Now I'm going to try my training uh, here. I got trained on how to roll the credits. So uh, thanks, everybody, for watching. Um, if you can throw us a few few bucks here and there uh, to keep the lights on, keep the servers running, uh, help help Carter, who's uh, bleeding cash, trying to keep unsafe space going. We think YouTube is is censoring us, and and we're we're reduced some. Uh, sorry if I'm part of that. I think some of the stuff I talk about YouTube would rather I didn't say, but I'm just trying to tell the truth, folks. So yeah, if you guys can help us out, that would be awesome. Uh, we do all the content for free. Um, this is a, uh, a labor of love here. It's a passion. Um, and also, uh, my girlfriend is quite happy if I just rant to you guys rather than rant to her, um, which is what will happen. If I wasn't doing this, she would get an earful about Ukraine. And uh, she can only take about a minute of it. She's already left a totally screwed up country. She lived in South Africa for the first 35 years. So she knows what it's like to see a country go totally downhill and then have to abandon and go to another country. And when I talk about what's going on with this stuff, her response is like, well, we have to leave. Um, and sometimes it seems hard to argue with that. I do actually just say like I, my normal response is, yeah, Florida should secede from the union. I think that's what leaving is now because I don't know of a better country to go to. Uh, when she came here 15 years ago or so, um, South Africa is in the toilet uh, and it's way worse now. Uh, but the U.S. looked reasonable, um, not too bad, at least from the point of view of somebody, you know, 20,000 miles away. Um, but now the U.S. looks a lot like what South Africa looked like uh, when she was in high school, um, right before uh, there was a regime change there. Um, tearing down statues, destroying history. Uh, Black Lives Matter, the whole bit. Um, so anyway, I'm kind of down to the, uh, yeah, leaving, but I don't necessarily want to leave Florida. I think Florida is not too, too bad a place to be when the United States falls apart. Um, anyway, just look at the comments. Uh, somebody, Elena said, thanks for all the information. I'm glad to provide it. Uh, it helps me a lot to, to get all this out. All right. So again, I started uh, saying goodbye. I'll see you next week. And I'm going to, this is a little bit of a trial for me. I'm going to roll the credits. So uh, here we go. I'm flying. Beverly, I'm, uh, I'm on my own here flying. So thanks for all your training. Here we go. Thanks for sticking around until the end. If you're new to Unsafe Space, check out our deep content library that includes discussions with everyone from James Lindsay to Brett Weinstein. And please consider helping to fund our work by visiting unsafespace.com donate. You can find us on a variety of social media platforms, and you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space Discord server which is open to financial supporters at any level. We hope to see you there. Warning, this is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. It would be better for your health if you forgot what you just heard. That should be easy for someone of your 
Intelligence. The following co-conspirators are hereby ordered to watch CNN. Experts agree that 87,000 new tax collectors will make inflation feel like less of a problem. I think we can agree that the FBI's track record speaks for itself. If you think about it, only government-sanctioned experts should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Science, scientific, and scientifically are registered trademarks of the World Economic Forum. Unauthorized use is prohibited. Computer voice Curtis Never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.